Welcome to the 12th House. I'm Michelle Pelazon, Lipsitz, your co-host and head witch in charge here at Holisticism. And it's just me today, just me and you. It's been a while. How are you? I've been spending most of my mornings walking on this little mini treadmill that I got that it goes under me, underneath my desk. And it's been so helpful. I haven't been feeling great. And it like, I do it for like an hour every morning while I'm kind of going through my emails and stuff. And man, it has been like a real game changer. It's really helped me stay focused for the rest of the day too. It's really cool. I'm just thinking about it because I'm recording this in the morning and I'm here standing on the treadmill, you know, trying not to walk on it because I don't want it to be loud. Man, best $150 purchase on a secondhand website like Mercari. Probably, you know, since the Dyson Airwrap. If, you, if you're unaware of this entire Dyson Airwrap saga, also the Mercari treadmill, you should go listen to our podcast. Good for you. But the point being, I'm just out here living. I'm trying to like do my do my best, be my best, and also love myself. <laughs> it's really hard to do that in the world, don't you think? Like to, to have both of those things happen at the same time. At least it was for me. I remember growing up, my parents were like, do your best, but also your best is the best <laughs> out of everyone else. So if you're not getting 110% on every test, that's not your best. Like, wait, what? But I'm bad at math. <laughs> but this really, you know, this idea of sort of combating feelings or almost like combating sides of your brain, the one side of your brain that wants to take care, that wants to feel good, that wants to feel inspired and creative and alive and free, and the other side of your brain that loves structure and loves being acknowledged and accepted and part of the whole and falling in line, right? Like doing what society tells us to do, how those two sides of us can often be like combating constantly and, and it's exhausting to try and keep up with both of them. <laughs> and I think for a lot of us, well, let me rephrase that. I've talked to so many people since I started holisticism. I've coached probably thousands of entrepreneurs and intuitive people at this point. I've talked to even more people than that <laughs> in 20 minute interviews. And I've also had, you know, these anecdotal conversations on the podcast and, you know, with my community for, for the last five years. And I think it's very common, more common than not, for really intuitive, creative people to also be perfectionist, to be like extremely high achievers. In fact, some of the most magical people that I know, the people who are the most sort of naturally gifted, uh, not that anyone is more special than any other person, but the people who like the magic comes to so easily, they don't need to like, they don't even really need to practice. It just like kind of happens like Harry Potter, you know, they are often in my experience, the people who are like the most type A <laughs> or who feel imprisoned the most by societal expectations. And I reposted this amazing, amazing graphic I saw on Instagram the other day that said, my entire being rejects capitalism. My ADHD, depression, anxiety, BPD, whatever it might be, that's just, that's my entire being rejecting capitalism. And I think that for a lot of us, we're caught, we're caught in that, right? Of we know there's something that's not quite right. That's just this isn't the way things should be. This isn't how it should feel. And also, we don't really know what else is out there. 
Like, what else to do? <laughs> if this is right, if this is if this is wrong, then what is right? And that can feel really complex and complicated. I think a lot of this stems truly when we go back to it from the witch wound. We've talked about the witch wound on this podcast before twice. And I definitely think that you should check out Mama Medicine, Deborah Hannigamp's work on the witch wound as well if you want to dive deeper into this. But it's not a new concept. So many people have talked about it from in academic settings to the more spiritual new new agey. I, I don't ever use that term because I kind of feel like it's like derogatory, but let's say new agey for the time being perspective. And the witch wound, just to like define it, is the wounding that someone would have from a past life experience of being penalized for magical witch, like effectively being burned at the stake, right? For being yourself and for going against the grain, which is traditionally are those in the community who believe in community care, who help others, who accept the ones who are on the fringes of society and who know that like they're also on the fringes of society. You know, they might not fall in line. They might not have, you know, a house in the suburbs and 2.5 kids and the white picket fence, but they're not bad people. You know, they're they're doing what they want. They're free. And sometimes when we're free, it intimidates other people. Our comfort in ourselves, our confidence in our choices can feel like an indictment to somebody else who's not confident in their choices, who's making different choices than you. And that's really what, I mean, like, actually, if we go back to the original witch trials in Europe, really, they weren't even about magic. They weren't about intuition. They were about, definitely read Sylvia Federici's work on this, but they were about moving from feudalism to capitalism. There were millions of single older women who were landowners, who had inherited land and property from their partners, who were not willing to give that land up. And those in power realized that because they had parceled off land and that land was now not just collective commons, what everyone was, you know, collective land, because individuals own that land, that whoever owned the most land was going to be the most wealthy. And this land had to be profitable, right? This, this land had to be productive. Things had to be done in this land. So if you were, you know, a, a couple of 30-year-olds with seven kids who could farm the land, which is literally why they call it why women giving labor. Women had children so the children could work, <laughs> right? That was women's role in society at that time. That's why younger women were more valuable than older women because they were of childbearing age. They could produce more labor, more people to work. When more people to work equals more profit. So those who had more labor available to them on that land had more profitable land and could pay more taxes. Those who didn't, older people, older women who are not of childbearing age, who maybe didn't have families, who weren't working the land, who weren't quote unquote productive, right? Who weren't contributing quote unquote to society in a way that could be monetized. They were weighing on society, right? In the eyes of capitalism, only taking away. They were not adding anything else. And we know that's not true because we know that if you are a kin keeper, if you are a knowledge holder, if you are a healer, of course you're contributing. (laughs) But this all comes to play in a second, which we'll get to. So the witch trials really were an economic decision to eliminate older women, women who were not quote unquote productive and take their land and take their resource. And that's exactly what happened. So older women who weren't willing to pay taxes, who weren't willing to, you know, maybe were a little grumpy, but also weren't willing to like till the land or could not 
could not work in that way, could not be productive in the way that society deemed them is appropriate to be productive, were literally burned at the stake. So that's the historical context. And of course, we can probably also guess that, like I said, a lot of these women were healers. They were knowledge workers, meaning they told stories, they held stories. They were the ones who passed on the old ways. If we think about this time, you know, religion had been around, but certainly the old ways were still alive and kicking. It, you know, religion, let's say Western religion, Christianity, the Judeo-Christian religions were still relatively new. They held a lot of the history of who we were. And they also probably transitioning from feudalism or the way that we existed before in a more communal way to capitalism, as we made that that shift, all of a sudden the things that were valuable that they offered the community, when we lived in a community care-centered way, where we're all sharing land, where we're sharing resources, where we're sharing assets, because we're in a small community and that's how it works. No one can own land. The land is collective. What was valued, how they valued their work, their purpose was removed, was taken away. So if you were a healer, you didn't get paid to heal people. You would have a colicky baby show up on your front door at two o'clock in the morning. You would pull those herbs or whatever it was. You do your folk magic on them or your folk healing on them and on that child. And the next day, a loaf of bread would land on your, on your, you know, front door or you know, someone would have taken your horses out or, you know, someone would come clean your house. It wasn't an exchange of actual money. It was communal care. And it has been like that, that bartering system forever and ever for such a long time. So you can imagine that there are a couple of things that those of us who are intuitive, who maybe identify this witch archetype in ourselves or this healer archetype in ourselves. And I would venture to also say the creator archetype which we've talked about, we're going to talk about in the next couple of episodes because, all, you know, creators too are rarely people who are like, quote unquote, productive to capitalism, although they are now thanks to Instagram. <laughs> and that's a whole other story. <laughs> so all of these archetypes, the witch, the intuitive, the healer, the creative, really the truth tellers, right? The knowledge workers. Not, so many of us are knowledge workers. That archetype, all of a sudden, the way that it has traditionally been valued in society and sought value and sought confirmation of good work. That's been wiped away. Now we're expected to ask for, I don't know, a dollar, $10. <laughs> How can you put a price on healing someone's sick child? How can you put a price on providing someone care at the end of their life? How can you put a price on helping someone through the birth process? through helping someone grieve, through helping someone find themselves. And so many of us are like, yeah, I know, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> like, that, trust me, I've been in this position. <laughs> so when we go back to the witch wound, there's a couple fears that come up that are almost like innate in us, maybe, especially if you believe in past lives and you think that's maybe where you came from. But I would say also, if you hold this archetype, just because it's part of the archetype, <laughs> like that's what it is. You know, archetypes are the, co the collective, the language of the collective conscious. And we take on, there's so much that we don't know consciously that we know unconsciously. So if you are embodying the witch wound, maybe you're embodying the creator archetype, the witch, the intuitive healer, the knowledge worker, there's a couple things. There's the fear of being seen. Because remember, being seen and also speaking out at a certain point meant you were going to get burned at the stake. 
If people saw what you did and who you were, you're going to get in trouble. So the fear of being seen is big in those archetypes, those who hold the witch wound. Fear of trusting your intuition. Because acknowledging your intuition, your brilliance, got you in trouble in the first place, right? Especially if your intuition was what how you did your work. So a lot of us have, re- have to sort of had to reverse engineer how we explain to people why we know what we know. I remember working in a tech, a tech setting at one of the startups I worked at and just having this intuition of like, this is going to do really well. We have to do this. And it's really important. And it was like a lightning bolt came down. It was a project. I was like, I can't explain why this is important, but we have to do it. And so I had to basically like reverse engineer the numbers, <laughs> the data, the research, the almost even my idea of like, oh no, it didn't just like come to me. I'd actually been researching X, Y, Z thing. And then, you know, I came up with like five ideas and I think this is the best one, which is like so much effort (laughs) in order to explain why my idea was worth listening to. Because I knew that saying I have a feeling wasn't a good enough reason. I had to back it up with data. And, you know, in business that is helpful, but it can come back and bite us if we don't totally trust our intuition because we're always second guessing our intuition. And we're also afraid to use our intuition to help us make choices to the point that maybe we'll even go in the opposite direction of what our intuition tells us, which you definitely don't want to do. You want to use your intuition and data and like call quantitative analytics together in in context. <laughs> and then finally, we briefly touched on this, but the witch wound means you're often unsure how to get paid for what you do because oh my God, you never got paid before for your services. Traditionally, that's not how it was done. It was community care. You showed up and you did your work and people recognized you and took care of you in the ways that communities take care of each other. So if you have been making a lot of free content, if you love making things, if you are just like, I'm out here and I'm like crushing it. I've got lots of followers. I got people who love me, but I have no idea how to monetize. Baby, that might be the witch wound. (laughs) So what does that have to do with being a creator and what comes next for you and how do you move past this? Well, the most important step is acknowledging that it's there, right? And this is why I love archetypes because when we can see uh, the archetypes that we're embodying and the light and shadow of each archetype and the archetypal journey that each that each sort of archetype goes through, we kind of know the beats of like what's going to happen and in a way we can see our own future. Like I know that as a knowledge worker, if I continue to go down this path of like not getting paid for my work, what's going to happen to me is I'm going to turn into like this miserly, horrible sort of professor, academic hermit and who's like been burned by the world. We just like have so many examples of that archetype happening that I, I don't really want that for myself. But I also know that if I walk down the other path of like really standing in my knowledge and teaching it to people lovingly and with care and also valuing it, really valuing it, then I can be like a prolific, wealthy person who contributes to the world and who also like gets to read all day, (laughs) who gets to research all day and like gets to do my work. And that's truly my dream. Like I just want to research all day long and make things, (laughs) write things, create things. That might not be your dream, but it's certainly mine. So I have the choice between those those two pathways, right? I know that if I stay in the light, one one is going to happen, and if I stay in the shadow, the other is going to happen, and and I get to choose the beats. 
you know, depending on how I choose to react and respond. And when you're a creator, when you're an intuitive person, when you're here to share a message with the world, because the thing that all of those archetypes have in common is that they're a channel, pulling information from one place and sharing it to the world for a reason, to better the world. The witch wound has a lot to do with your work. Through sharing of yourself, you're healing the world in a way, either literally because you're a healer or through the knowledge that you have. I know that what I've said in class before has changed people's lives. And I'm not even really that smart. So like you, I am certain, have something that you might not even think. You're like, oh, that's just a throwaway line. That's a throwaway idea that is life-changing to someone else, life-giving to somebody else. And that is a form of healing. So we also, as creators, like when we can hold ourselves up as a mirror and embody the mirror archetype, we were just talking about this in the North Node, we allow people the opportunity to see themselves and to see themselves truly. And when we can hold space for them to see themselves and react and respond to themselves, that is also a gift. That's the most important thing that you can do. Because think about like a mirror. When you look down at your body, like look down at your body, it looks nothing like what you look like when you look in the mirror, right? And... <laughs> There's this actually like really cool anthropological study that says that the fertility goddesses of Mesopotamia, the you know the ones that we find all over in the cradle of civilization, actually weren't like these crazy voluptuous Kim Kardashian like extreme fertility goddesses. They were actually when women look down at their own bodies, that's kind of what they see. Like is like our breasts look bigger, our stomachs look bigger, our thighs look bigger. And they were just, so women were carving these statues of themselves, their self-portraits without a mirror. And I think that's so amazing. But it also goes to show you that your your self-image or your self-concept can change depending on how, you're, how you see yourself, how you're literally, you see yourself. If you're looking down at yourself, you look one way. If you look at yourself in the mirror, you look another way. And it, both are true, but also both are helpful because we're adding more layers of perception and understanding of who we are. So if our job in society is to be a mirror, or that's part of our job. We're just allowing people to know themselves. And think about how many people in this world are lost because they do not know who they are. They can't witness themselves and how incredible it would be to be able to hold up a mirror to people and show them who they are, for better or worse. That's healing, right? That brings us back to like empathy and compassion and community and humanity, and that's really important. So as a creator, you know, you, if you know this, that sharing of yourself, you're kind of healing the world, it means you have to be okay being seen, man. <laughs> you gotta be. And you have to trust yourself. You have to trust your intuition and trust that your intuition isn't gonna get you in trouble anymore. We're in a different time. And the more people who normalize using their intuition in context and who don't make it something that's just like special and only some of us have, because that's also part of the problem, who make it like we all have intuition we all are magical. We all can be witches. <laughs> you know, we all um, have abilities. We all can move energy and feel energy and see energy. When we acknowledge that and how intuition plays into so many of our decision-making conversations, then we can normalize it. And we also should be using it all the time. Like you should be using intuition to watch trends, especially as a content creator and to decide, okay, is this, of course, using analytics as well, but like is this really what I think my audience needs to hear, my community needs to hear, or is there something else? Your intuition is one of the most important tools you have in your arsenal as a creator. Otherwise, you're just on someone else's content treadmill. Instead of forging your own path ahead, you're trying to keep up with everyone else. You're looking side to side. You're saving a million things on Instagram. Like, oh, we should do that. We should do that. Instead of listening to yourself and saying, ah, but this is what I need to say. And then finally, obviously, you have to get paid. <laughs> 
that's what the witch wound teaches us and like lets us know about being a creator. Like we have to figure out and be okay with getting paid in a way that might feel different than what we're used to. That might feel different than just community care. While that's totally valuable and valid, we also have to acknowledge that we live within capitalism. And in order to disrupt capitalism or be capitalism critical, we have to also work within it. Because to completely eschew it is an extreme response and reaction that most people will find inaccessible. So if we want to make our work accessible, we have to think about the fact that most people are used to paying for things. <laughs> most people are used to exchanging a dollar, ten dollars, fifty dollars for a service, right? And I actually really like learned this when we moved a lot of our work to sliding scale, that it was actually really triggering for a lot of people to work on sliding scale because capitalism really like enforces scarcity. And it's so, 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 so hard to be the only cost that people have where you are like specifically asking them to not center themselves and to think about the community when literally every other thing that they use money for says the opposite. It's almost like that's why we've moved away from sliding scale for some of our things because it's it's like a little re-traumatizing. Like we we did a lot of we we had sliding we've been using sliding scale for like two and a half years. And when I interviewed people about it, like a lot of people said they really liked it and it was really helpful. But a lot of people also said like it gave them it gave them so much anxiety. They wish that that like we had just told them what to pay. And I think that's super interesting. So we do a combination of both. We do sliding scale for North Node and some other offerings that we have. We do payment plans that have no interest. And then we have a shit ton of free content like this podcast. <laughs> but our paid work is how we make this free stuff. So we are thinking about community care all the time. And I would say we make more free things than we make paid things. If you're not in the holisticism hub, you should join. We do like a free class every week there. <laughs> but Obviously, getting paid is really important. And that's why so many creators feel burned out because they're in a relationship with their users that isn't reciprocal. And this is a really important concept to understand if you made it this far. A true reciprocal caring relationship, especially in content, but in the world, in getting paid, is a consume-consumption relationship. In nature, we are either consuming, everything is either consuming or being consumed. Sometimes at the same time, think about a tree. A tree is consuming, you know, minerals from the earth, water from the earth, and it is often being consumed by an animal at the same time, right? And when it's overconsumed, meaning an animal, animals eat too much of it, too many of its leaves, then that tree will die, right? Or if it's not consuming enough nourishment, if it's consuming too much and not being consumed, then it will get overinflated and it will end up like growing too big and messing with the rest of the ecosystem. We know what that's like. Everything in life is about simultaneously consuming and being consumed. You probably can relate to the word consumption when it comes to content. We are constantly consuming content. If you're a content creator, you are being consumed. This is the same thing. When I get paid to make a company a notion dashboard. I'm being consumed by them. They're consuming my time. They're consuming my energy. They're consuming my brain space. And I am consuming part of them when they pay me because that payment is how they, you know, it's part of like their resource, right? And I don't need to feel guilty about consuming part of their resource. One, because they are giving it to me freely. 
they're happy to give it to me. And two, because we are in a reciprocal relationship where we are both consuming each other. It's a closed loop. It's a circle. Now you can see when one side is over-consuming, how that circle gets lopsided. And things start to feel bad because it's not in alignment. It doesn't have equilibrium. And one person begins to suffer and the other starts to grow too, you know, bloated. <laughs> so as creators, we have to be okay and just audit what our consumption consume sort of ratio is. If we are being consumed, but we are not consuming in return, then that means that we're going to burn out because we are not getting enough resource to keep this thing going. Think about your body. We are constantly consuming, right? We're taking in food and then that food is being consumed or we are being consumed, burning calories by existing, right? And we have to do it all the time. We can't just like eat breakfast once and then be like, good, I'm done, done eating forever. I consumed once. <laughs> no, we need to constantly refill. It's so annoying. Same thing as a creator. Same thing as honestly, anyone who takes money, anyone who has a witch wound, who's like worried about it, who's often like often people are like guilty. They feel guilty for getting paid. You shouldn't be because you're in a reciprocal relationship. And the minute that you you actually feel bad about that or you say no, you're trying to control that relationship and take the upper hand. And that's not good. We don't want that. So think about that consume consumption scale and maybe do an audit for yourself. Where are you at right now? Do you feel like you're being overconsumed? And where do you need to consume in order to nourish yourself, in order to feel well resourced? You probably feel are feeling overconsumed. <laughs> and that's likely because your content or what you're making isn't getting you paid, either directly or indirectly. There's so many ways to get paid from our content and our brains in ways that feel fun and exciting and interesting. I'm not just talking about ads. I'm not just talking about being an affiliate. I'm not just talking about like making an online course and selling a shit ton of Facebook ads and doing webinars, although you can totally do that if you want. There are so many ways to be a knowledge worker in this world right now. So many resources. It's never been a better time. The world has never been more amenable to creators who want to share their knowledge think about Substack, think about Patreon. There's just so much. There's so much and it's it's incredible. And if this is what you love to do and you're feeling either overwhelmed or burnt out, then it's time to think about how to get back into balance because that's part of healing the witch wound and like choosing the light, you know, not to be dramatic. We actually have our content creation station dashboard, which I think you'll probably love. It's on Notion. And um, I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can grab it if you want. And I think that that's it. We've got a really good set of episodes coming up talking about creator archetypes. So if you liked a little bit of the archetype conversation here, you're going to love the next two episodes. And if you haven't already, go ahead and uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. I would really appreciate that. It helps us get found by more people and also helps amazing contributors decide to want to work with us. So we really appreciate that. You're doing the Lord's work. You can also give us five stars on Spotify. That's a new thing that they're doing. We have some amazing reviews on Apple, but I think you know we kind of came to the Spotify game a little bit late. So we'd love if you just right next to your subscribe button, you just hit that little five stars. That'd be amazing. And oh, I can't wait for QuantumCon. Are you coming? 
It's going to be so fun. I'm teaching a bunch of classes and ugh, it just keeps getting better and better. We have free breakfast, healthy lunch, free mushroom coffee, regular coffee, like delicious beverages and potions, a non-alcoholic drinks, a $400 swag bag for each person, which is insane. It's going to be amazing. We have, of course, this beautiful space that we're working in that's half indoor, half outdoor. We get it all to ourselves in sunny, gorgeous California, LA, our our space second home. We also have flower arranging that we're going to be doing, mini facials. It's like a work oasis. The point was to give you the support to put your head down and do your work and not be bothered, sort of enter your own little vortex, but also not burn yourself out, not forget to eat and drink. Imagine if all you had to do is be creative. That's what this weekend is about. Such a dream. All you have to worry about is yourself. Like you just get yourself there and we take care of the rest. It's going to be heaven. And I can't wait for you to join us. You can join at holisticism.party. Ticket sales are closing soon. So if you want to get in, get in. The event is on April 30th and May 1st. And I think we're closing ticket sales on the 24th. So you have two weeks, my friends. Um, not even that, 10 days. Get it, get in there. And I'd love to see you. And I'd love to give you a hug in real life if you feel comfortable. And I'd love to teach you IRL. And I will see you next week and talk to you soon. Bye.